Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which freed slaves in southern states, on January 1, 1863. But it took Union soldiers two and a half years to break the news to slaves in Galveston, Texas, on June 19, 1865. Juneteenth commemorates that unconscionable delay. But that delay was not nearly as unconscionable as the 140 years it took the U.S. government to finally apologize for slavery itself in 2008. Not to mention the ongoing delay in honoring America's promise to, quote, rectify the lingering consequences of the misdeeds committed against African Americans under slavery and Jim Crow, end quote which is how activists are framing their demands for reparations to compensate for the harm Juneteenth represents. Except Republicans are willfully misleading half the country to believe that critical race theory, which teaches graduate students about the systemic legacy of that harm, is really a liberal plot to make grade school students feel guilty about and responsible for that harm. And so, not unlike those slaves in Galveston, it might be years before students in Republican-controlled school districts across the country learn the basic facts about Juneteenth. Congress finally passed the Juneteenth Bill a year ago this week. The Associated Press reported on its passage on June 16, 2021, as follows. The United States will soon have a new federal holiday commemorating the end of slavery. Juneteenth, or June 19th, will become the 12th federal holiday. It's the first new federal holiday since Martin Luther King Jr. Day was created in 1983. The vote comes as lawmakers struggle to overcome divisions on police reform legislation following the killing of George Floyd by police and as Republican state legislators push what experts say is an unprecedented number of bills aimed at restricting access to the ballot box. End quote. There is no denying the impact BLM protests in the wake of the killing of George Floyd had on the passage of this Juneteenth bill. But the most interesting fact about Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday is that Texas 
of all states, was the first to recognize it as a state holiday in 1979. I've been among those championing this and related causes for decades. I refer you in this regard to blog commentaries like Senate apologizes for slavery. Blacks say, show us the money, a.k.a. reparations, on June 19, 2009. Juneteenth and the Holy Grail of reparations for slavery, on June 19, 2019. And Juneteenth, a holiday. Finally, on June 19, 2021. The point is that, even as we celebrate this holiday, I remain all too mindful that there is lots of work still to be done, and nothing is more foreboding in this respect than the Jim Crow 2.0 voter suppression laws, which Republican legislatures are frantically enacting in red states across the country. By the same token, though, nothing is more vexing than that holy grail, which hovers like a black cloud over this holiday. Except this is neither the episode nor the forum, to delve too much into the issue of reparations for slavery. So suffice it to know that, as symbolic and satisfying as an apology and a holiday might be, they hardly compensate for the reparations blacks have been demanding for decades. The problem is that the U.S. government has made clear it has no intention of ever putting its money where its mouth is. Nothing demonstrated this, quite like the disclaimer Congress included in its apology resolution, because it stated categorically that, and I quote, Nothing in it supports or authorizes reparations by the United States. End quote. <laughs> this effectively precludes compensation to black Americans today. For the original sin America committed against their ancestors centuries ago. For the record though, Original sin is a misnomer, which should always appear in quotation marks, because what America's white founding fathers perpetrated against black people constitutes an unforgivable crime against humanity, for which no amount of reparations could ever compensate. As it happens, I've been in the vanguard of those addressing this issue, too. Only my take has been a little too pragmatic for many of my progressive comrades even to countenance. 
Some of the titles to blog commentaries in this regard speak volumes. Namely, Caracom's fatally flawed demands for reparations for African slavery. On February 16, 2007. Reparations from Britain for colonialism. On July 18, 2012. And... British Prime Minister rejects CARICOM's demands for reparations for slavery, and rightly so, on October 8, 2015. As those titles indicate, I've addressed reparations primarily in the context of slavery in the Caribbean, where I hail from. But the issues are the same including what reparations advocates say, is the need to address the persistent inequalities experienced by the descendants of African slaves throughout the Americas. It's just that my commentaries reflect my belief that the impossibility of establishing proximate cause and actual harm make reparations for African slavery insoluble. I juxtapose this, for example, with claims for reparations for the Jewish Holocaust and Japanese internment during World War II. I argue that the latter were successful, primarily because direct links could be established between the perpetrators of the harm alleged and survivors of that harm. By contrast, no such links exist between the institution of slavery and modern-day claimants for reparations for that slavery. And this is where one is obliged to cite 50 years of affirmative action programs in everything from education to housing and employment. After all, they were supposed to redress the persistent inequalities caused by slavery and Jim Crow. Never mind reports that those programs have mostly benefited white women and rich blacks. Whatever the case, it behooves advocates to appreciate why even the word reparations is so toxic. Indeed, even sympathetic, guilt-ridden whites often flinch defensively at the notion of being blamed for the original sin their forefathers committed centuries ago. And Lord knows we are living in times when we can ill afford to alienate our erstwhile white liberal allies. Apropos of which, I'd be remiss to end this episode without noting the irony of Juneteenth failing to become a holiday during the eight-year presidency of the first black president of the United States, Barack Obama. Here too, though, I presage this moment in time which makes even discussing reparations so politically implosive. I did so in the blog commentary. Romney versus Obama. Race still matters. 
on November 1, 2012, as follows. On everything, from general welfare to personal taxes, Obama's policies are far more beneficial to the tens of millions of whites who compose the majority of America's poor. Yet polls indicate that the majority of them will be voting for Romney, whose policies not only favor the rich, but, like his pledge to repeal Obamacare, threaten to make these poor whites even poorer. I'm on record stating my suspicion that many whites voted for Obama in 2008 more as a gesture of racial absolution than of political faith, and that, having thusly absolved themselves of their sins of racism with this one historic act, many of them now feel liberated to give way to their racial prejudices without fear of being called racists." End quote. And then along came Donald J. Trump, like a godsend giving them license to do just that. This is why I urge those demanding reparations to frame their claims in the context of the systemic racism that persists, which dates back to the good old days of Jim Crow, because this would provide a more cognizable link between the harms alleged and the compensation sought. After all, there would be no end to plaintiff testimonials stemming from systemic practices like redlining, gentrification, separate and still unequal schools, workplace discrimination, unfair incarceration, <laughs> to say nothing of police brutality. That said, I cannot overstate that advocates for reparations would make their demands more palatable by simply challenging the government to make affirmative action programs more targeted, because those programs should include such means-tested benefits as free health care, free child care, free education, from pre-K to graduate, and even subsidized housing. Apropos of which, I mentioned earlier that my take on reparations, which is now so much a part of Juneteenth, is an outlier among fellow blacks. But there is one very notable brother who shares my take, and he just happens to be the former President of the United States. <laughs> because here is how the Huffington Post quoted him under the headline, 
Obama opposes slavery reparations on August 2, 2008. I have said in the past, and I'll repeat again, the best reparations we can provide are good schools in the inner city and jobs for people who are unemployed. End quote. Case closed. And with that I say, this is the holiday Congress has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, even as the fight continues to overcome. That's it. Subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for thought-provoking commentaries, often laced with humor, I invite you to visit my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.